As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Dragging himself back from Hong Kong, Stephen Major joins us now with HSBC, Global Head of Fixed Income Research, and we're thrilled he could join Bloomberg in our New York studios. Forget about all the market talk here. What is the experience of living in Hong Kong under quarantine? It's, it's getting easier, Tom, much easier. And uh, I'm, I can't wait to go back because uh, we're, we're, we're free now. There is no quarantine. <laughs> so I've, I've done my time now. You think they can salvage their relationship? I don't want to get you in trouble with HSB no. management, but you are optimistic they can salvage their relationship with Western banks to stay a financial capital? Yeah, I think I think all okay. the moves are in place and November's a big month. Many okay. people are going there, so yes. Yeah. We are thrilled you join us for this entire half hour. You are known as someone that has said price up and yield will stay down. We've seen a major adjustment here. What is the new major look on how yield finally crawls low and price higher. When do we get there? How don't, do we get there? Don't you have a show called Real Yield? We do. Is that we one do. of John's ones? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm moonlighting this afternoon. You're, you're doing it. Well, at least it's relevant now because, <laughs> because you, you, you actually do have a real, real yield. No, it's relevant because Lisa's doing it and John's it, not doing actually, it. Actually, yeah. Let's have fun at John's expense. <laughs> 24-7. Continue, Mr. Major. But, but if you can get real yield anywhere near 2%, that covers real GDP. So if you're building a portfolio from scratch, and you, you know this is without being encumbered by all of the carnage in, in markets the last few months, if you're building from scratch, 2% real yield covers... GDP in the longer run. So we don't know where inflation is. It seems to be a good place to start building a portfolio with a real yield close to two. So let's just uh, put this into something that's very clear. Do you see 10-year yields at 4.3% in the U.S. as a screaming buy load up because we are not going to see yields like this again? Yeah, well, fortunately, I work with some professionals who who contain my enthusiasm because I, w- I would have been buying every week, right? So uh, um, it's, that's why I'm not a trader. But the, the point is the, the valuations today show a very strong recency bias. I mean, I, I can honestly believe that yields will keep going up in the near term. But you, but you could also build a plausible scenario that there's a hard landing and that yields should be less than 2%. You could build that scenario. The question is, what weighting do you put on it? Right. So at the moment, we're pricing a very high probability of the Fed going to five and staying there forever. 
which that doesn't seem plausible. Well, right? a lot of people, well, and this is something that I was really excited that you were coming on to yeah. push against. What I'm hearing increasingly is that there is a stickier, more pervasive inflation over the long term, yeah. and that the Fed funds rate is not going to go below 2% anytime in the next decade, simply because of the deglobalization or the uh, localized globalization, some of the population trends and some of these other macro factors. Yeah. I, I don't think the longer term picture has changed, Lisa. Demographics, debt, wealth inequality, that the, the explanations for low R star have not have not reversed. I, I think you can give me some arguments that that maybe underwrite or underpin right. the R star, but not reverse it. I don't think you can reverse well, the pre the pre pandemic trend. Just to quickly p follow on to this, then do yeah. you see where do you think we're going to see zero percent rates in the next five years? I, I think you'll get a hard landing, and the probability of the market pricing a return to the zero bound cannot be uh, uh, ignored. So it's it's all about probabilities. Uh, the markets are pricing rates at five, right? So the two year yield can be 100 to 150 over the current money rate, money mm -hmm. rate. In an easing cycle, the two year can be 150 through the money rate. So, so that's not happening this week, but sometime next year, the market would not be wrong to be pricing in an easing cycle. I got a zillion uh, angles here. If you're on radio, Stephen Major with us with HSBC uh, for this entire half hour. And the one angle I want to talk about is you mentioned the breakage that could be there and what we're observing right now in the markets. DXY getting up near a 114 is without question the focus at the IMF was on swap lines. Yeah. Is it enough of a power in the foreign exchange market to see dollar strong where there's a swap line demand or a desire for swap lines, even if I can't get them? And is that enough to make Jerome Powell blink? There, there are a number of economies in Asia where there's been a tightness in the funding markets mm -hmm. recently. Uh, and looking ahead to year-end kind of Please. pressures, yeah. Um, we, we had a fire drill with the UK, which showed... What, what, le what lessons did we get from the UK? Um, fast moves are dangerous. It isn't just the level, it's the speed, right? Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if the Fed was watching that very closely. Was there a point a week or so ago when... People were worried. Um, you, you see, at the moment, what happened in the UK wasn't enough to distract the Fed from its hawkishness. But who's to know if something spills into a market somewhere? And in fact, it'd be wrong of me to speculate, but, but there, there are so many pools of leverage in the global economy, so many areas that need to refinance. And when the dollar is moving like this and the rates are so high, the spreads are so wide... Um, there's going to be some pain. So I don't want to come on here and speculate right. as to where it is, but, right. but, you, but you're right. The swap lines are being looked at because do, there's tension. Do we have good data now? John Byrne Murdoch, first thing I tweeted out today over at the FT with a fabulous essay on the opacity of Chinese economic data. Do you feel sitting at your desk in Hong Kong that you have good Pacific Rim data, that you have good global data, or the tensions germane as you see in, in the swap line debate. I think I think we're always struggling to catch up, Tom, and we're all experts about LDI now in the UK, but we, <laughs> but we weren't before, were we? <laughs> well, we can all quote numbers and talk about what happened. But can, I, can I do a <laughs> shout out to Jordan Rochester? Nomura just killed it. I found a Nomura paper from four or five years ago on LDI that mm. absolutely nailed yeah. what was going to occur. So we're all experts in LDI and we're also <laughs> all experts in British politics. I'm wondering, yeah. as you talk about the speed, and this yeah. is something people have been talking about, yeah. what happens to 10-year Treasury yields if Japan 
abandons perhaps its peg or yeah. has some sort of uh, failed intervention as we see almost 152, 151.9 yeah. right now on the dollar versus the well, yen. We're trying to game this one out. Um, with, the, with US yields here, if the YCC was changed, if there was an iterative shift, it would have much less impact than where yields were one year ago. So, so if Japan had changed its policy, global fixed income could have been de-anchored a year ago. If, if they were to do it today, it kind of doesn't matter so much because they're, they're going to be adjusting into a bigger spread because US yields are so high compared to Japan. Um, so the Bank of Japan estimates that the 10-year JGB would be around 75, 85, uh, 80 basis points if there was no YCC. But we're not, this isn't black and white. Right. It's not going to be no YCC. It's going to be an iterative shift. Yeah. What, what you're saying, though, is important, which yeah. is we've already done a lot of the work yeah. to reduce the shock value exactly. of how quickly exactly. the moves can be. Does yeah. this mean, perversely, that you end up with yields higher for longer because there isn't some sort of trigger that causes some sort of monetary policy to step in? Higher for longer. Well, that's a good one. So <laughs> is that the opposite of lower for longer? Yeah, exactly. Well, we saw <laughs> but, that for a long time. No, I, I, I think that when, when, when you've had a once-in-a-century pandemic and all the other supply-side shocks that we've had, we shouldn't expect a return in the space of a year to what we had before. Right. It, it's a multi-year process. I, I think that three to five years out, we'll be back where we were in 2019. Right. And what a joy. Some quiet moments here with Stephen Major of HSBC in a very unquiet time. My study and this goes back to Martin Feldstein of Harvard, is that these things end stochastically. Things move, and they don't level, they don't plateau, they get pointy, they turn around in reverse. What is a stochastic event that will allow some of the carnage I see on my screen to reverse? That's, that's right, Tom. I think that it might even be a bimodal market. So you've got one mode that's got this strong recency bias, and then there's the other one that prices in an event. I mean, the facts are that the median number of months between the last hike and the first cut, based on the last 70 years of data, guess what? Four months. Mm -hmm. The mean is eight. So it's skewed because of the 2006, right. 2008 period. But my point is, you just, just look at the numbers. Once they've hit the peak, the market is not wrong to be looking right. over the other side. And um, what's the event? Well, the UK could have been. If the UK event of fast-moving yields and disruption somehow infected, affected mm -hmm. the US financial markets, I'm, I'm talking here about money markets or right. mortgage markets or you said swap lines, all this stuff. Who knows? That that makes the Fed think twice about going all the way to five okay. or above. You're yeah. living in Hong Kong. You're living the anti-science of China. Fine. The anti-science of monetary policy is Japan. Everyone knows this. What are the ramifications to the Steve Major world when they capitulate on YCC in some face-saving form and you get yen 152 to 129 over a, literally a cup of coffee? Yeah. What happens to the system? I, I don't think you get the shock that you could have had if they'd changed YCC a year ago. Because of where US yields sit today, they're so far above. So you, they can soak up easily a Japanese move. I imagine that the Japanese curve would, would flatten 
so it will be a bear flattening because the curve is so steep between 10 and 30 years. Now, in global fixed income, that's not gone unnoticed. If you're sitting in Germany, you can switch from your local market into JGBs and pick up yield because of the curve mm -hmm. steepness and the hedging. The right. hedging because, because Japanese rates are below zero at the front end, whereas ECB and Fed are hiking. So, so you know, there are opportunities here well, in global fixed income from the divergences. To go to your arch thesis, yeah. as they manufacture what I, you know, I'm going to editorialize here and say yeah. a pseudo inflation, are we essentially going to have a stochastic move back to disinflationary trends in the arch yeah. major theory, which is some forms of deflation? I, I think so. And from a Japanese perspective, if you've waited 30 years to come out of deflation, a couple of months of plus two, plus three doesn't do it. And and that's the Kuroda mm -hmm. approach. We don't know who Kuroda's replacement is going to be. Uh, he or she won't be in place until next year. Um, so it's just speculation on our part. And I feel very much that's all we're right. doing. Right? We, we're, or we're trying to game it out anyway. And now, folks, we dive into... Our World Cup coverage. We do this without John Farrow, which is unfortunate. Uh, you, of course, have a global mandate. You're going to be in the Middle East. I guess you're going to attend the World Cup. Can you explain to mere mortals like me how we see a good product with 86 degrees on the field? It might be a slow game. It could be completely different. I mean, I'm 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 going to go and see some England games. Um, I'm lucky enough to get tickets, but I, I, I think it's going to be a strange World Cup. It's going to be surreal because in that kind of heat, it will be, it will be a lot cooler than it is in the summer, obviously, but, but the game's going to be slower and I guess more measured. It's not going to be as, as uh, crazy as the Premiership because you've seen how fast, right. how fast they play in the Premiership. Right. You've seen it yourself. Yeah. On Sterling and Gilts, let's, yeah. let's finish there. I've got a 110.84. We've moved a full stick here on uh, Sterling and this morning, 112 down to 110.87. It's inappropriate for you to comment on the politics, but please, on the pressures that Governor Bailey faces. Well, he's, he's reiterated the independence, and um, I, I think he's been pushed into a bit of a corner I mean, it didn't help that the Bank of England was was hiking at a pace less than the Fed before the events in, in Downing Street. Um, but the Bank of England's uh, role is quite interesting here because they they are buyer of last resort and they've shown their ability to, to do that. And um, I think the guilt market has actually calmed down quite a lot. And one of the, the big differences between the UK and US is that things can happen very, very quickly in the UK. All of those fiscal proposals have basically been abandoned. Could you be long 10, 30-year guilt this morning? I think you, Price I think, up, yield I, down? I think, you could, I think you can start to look at it. And um, I'm interested in how gilts look compared to equities, for example. And, and there, there will be a lot of uh, fund managers looking at those relationships, mm -hmm. so bonds versus equities. It's the same in, in the U.S. There's, there's, there's a point when you have to start favoring bonds over right. the risky assets. And I, I think that that's... You know, ultimately, for the Bank of England, it's um, uh, you know they've got the QT, they've got the QE, they've got the policy rates. They've got to work with the DMO on on mm -hmm. on patterns of issuance, which could which could be modified. I I, I think that the worst is past us now, and I, I I think we'll probably see a period of calm after after the shock. The period of calm will come after your uh, view forward for 2023. Some a theme for 2023 that we may see written by HSBC. 
Yeah, I'm not going to front run the research because we haven't published well, it. Was it you know, I mean, <laughs> did you hear that, folks? I didn't hear that. I don't know we haven't. We, we haven't even sat down. I think we'd be pleased to get to the end of this year. Let's try to get that, to the that, end that, of the month. <laughs> Stephen Major, thank you so much. Thank greatly, you. greatly, greatly appreciate it uh, this morning. He is with HSBC, and this is what we try to do to bring you the conversation uh, on this in settled times and decidedly unsettled times um, as well. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Alicia Levine actually joins us here without the Star Destroyer behind her. Alicia Levine, uh, head of equities and capital market advisory at BNY Mellon uh, Wealth Management. What is your view, Alicia, and how you view this move upwards in yield? Are we watching something break in slow motion? So I don't think we're watching anything break, but we shouldn't be surprised at this because that last CPI print really said it all. Core inflation <sighs> is now higher today than it was in 1982. Forget the top line. It's the mm. core. And that's ultimately what central banks are looking at and what the Fed is looking at. And that's our problem. What's amazing to me is that ratch up in yields this week, the equity market kind of shrugged it off. You would have thought there would have been a more dramatic reaction there. So I think we ha we get something in the next few days to reflect what's happened with yields and with rates ratcheting <clears throat> up higher. You are hugely adept at the mathematics of the moment. I want you to correlate the bond dynamics we're all talking about over to how you reset for equities into next year. Can you link the two beasts together or are they non-correlated? So I think you have to link the two together because in this year, equities were really the caboose and the bond mm. market was driving the train here, right. which I get Perfect. teased about no, you know, but, blaming but, the bond market. But right. it is true because your multiples get compressed when yields and rates move higher. What the market mm -hmm. is doing is pricing in an over 5% Fed funds rate. You're going to feel it on the equity side. You can't avoid that. It's it's all one system. Okay. You don't have you don't have assets that just trade on their own. It's against the risk free right. rate. But in a log Euclidean space, or even if you go to some fancy X Y Z space as well, is it nonlinear from here? in the dynamics of the bond market pushing stocks around. So that that's a really interesting question. You're asking, has the work been done? Right. You're asking, have we had enough multiple compression? And I think the answer is the direction is still in a volatile way. But I do think a lot of the multiple compression has already been taken care of. Because if you think we're headed into recession the first half of the year, you're going to wind up with lower yields eventually. And that, in a mm -hmm. weird way, is going to support the market. 
also, the earnings season is coming in, Lisa, as you pointed out, better than expected, in part because of inflation, in part because we had the financials report, and so they're doing well on net interest margin. And, you know, the, the high-end consumer is spending. Think about Nordstrom's. Think about LVMH. I mean, and, and travel. So people are out there spending. It's not a total collapse yet. So you could have some stabilization as you have two-year two year yields move higher. So what happens first, the Fed blinking or seeing yields kind of get out of control and cause some sort of torpedo effect in the multiple valuations? So I don't think the Fed blinks. Okay, so the Fed will blink if there's an event. And right now the UK walked back from their event, which walked back the event on the global bond market. And they seem very intent on getting higher here. And they've, they've really trapped themselves, right? They've trapped themselves because they keep on talking about CPI, which as you know, is backward looking because they want to signal to the, the average household that the Fed is on the inflation job backward looking, we still haven't seen the effects of the, the rate hiking cycle for another six months. So, you know, you have signs, housing's rolling over, you have signs of a slowdown, but the Fed's out there hiking with so, old data. Meanwhile, taking a look at what we're expecting from earnings, we get some of the big tech names next week. We have seen Snap. That was concerning. And it's been very concerning this morning for owners of Meta, which already has tanked. I mean, Facebook has lost a significant portion of its value. How much more do the tech bubbles have to burst at a time where they've already been devalued dramatically? So uh, high growth names, when they stop growing high growthly, get not only an earnings, an earnings downgrade, but you get the multiple compression as well. So to the extent that you have stocks that are still trading at 40 times next year's, that the, the, the tech names are still too high. I mean, ultimately, those names right. have not been, been driven down dramatically. I got to slip this in. If there's a factor adjustment into 2023, and I'm really big on the zombies are going to be taken out in this new rate regime, what do the non-zombies do and which factors matter? next year for the profitable non-zombies. So th there will be a wave of M&A coming from, Agreed. from the non-zombies and cheap, right? You're going to have really fire sale of companies here for IP as well. I mean, you could have M&A just for IP in some of these sectors. But, you know, ultimately, to the extent that companies raised cash during the time of near zero rates, you should have some resiliency there. I think the credit cycle happens in the private markets, in the in those middle markets where they couldn't quite raise the cash because the corporate America is flush with cash right now. The refinancing there is not going to be the problem, and ultimately, the American consumer. You know, I was looking at the the unemployment data yesterday, the the, the new claims data. I mean, we're at rock bottom. Yeah, there there is not a problem in the labor market here. So, you know, you have this weird push-pull where you're getting the bull-up effect on in inventories, and you've got labor working and spending. Yeah. Alicia Levine, uh, too short. Thank you so much for being with us. Alicia Levine of BNY Mellon Wealth Management. Mark Chandler has written books on the astrology of foreign exchange, the interdependencies, nation to nation. He is chief market strategist at Bannockburn, and we start strong with Mr. Chandler this morning. Mark, let me go to Global Wall Street and what everybody wants to know. When is the comfortable time for Ministry of Finance in Japan to step in on 151 yen? Do they do it now? Do they do it in the quiet of their weekend? Or do they wait for the Asian Monday morning, our Sunday, 7 p.m.? 
Yeah, it's a great question, Hatan. After they intervened at the end of last month, uh, and I think they did three things that make the intervention uh, less than successful. First, it was not a surprise. They continued to warn the market they were planning to intervene. Secondly, they did it unilaterally. That is, there's very little support from whether it's Europe or the United States for BOJ intervention. And the third thing I think they did is they, by intervening, they did not signal a change in policy. And so the, what we were telling our clients was that the only thing worse than intervention was failed intervention. And I think that's what's happened. Yeah. And so I think the, the Bank of Japan's in a tough position. If they do intervene, it probably won't be as successful as a, as a, as a last bout. They spent $20 billion practically to get maybe a week's night, uh, a week's right. night worth of pleasant sleep. Mark, the Chandler word for acceleration, for a rapid advancement, is convexity. There's clear convexity in the unraveling of Japanese yen, Turkish lira, and that. Do you anticipate a fourth quarter in, in 2023 of acceleration in these trends, or can we find stability? Yeah, that's the, that's the, that's a million dollar question there, Tom. I I think that the dollar is close to a top, partly because I think that Fed policy, as the market's got it priced in there, five percent now. That's a seventy five basis point hike uh, in early November, and again in December, and another rate hike early next year. I think that inflation is close to a peak, uh, even if the uh, core rate is too sticky. I think you know, here's what I'm looking at: Q one, the uh, annualized rate of CPI was over ten percent. In Q2, the annualized rate of U.S. CPI headline was still above 10 percent. Q3 fell to, fell to about 2 percent. So I'm looking at inflation to be coming off. I know that it's very controversial right now. Uh, I know many people have been burned uh, calling for this before. But I think that uh, we're, we're coming to the tail end of this uh, historic dollar move. And I think the Bank of Japan and the PBOC, the Central Bank of China, are basically playing for time until Fed policy peaks, until the market uh, brings the dollar back off of these historic levels. Does this mean uh, simply that it doesn't matter what happens in Europe, that this is entirely a Fed story from your vantage point and peak inflation in the U.S., and that it's not necessary to see a material turning around in a European region that seems like it's heading into a really difficult moment? Yeah, so I, I agree with that, Lisa. I think that uh, for me, there's two big drivers here. One, of course, Fed policy. Everybody, everybody knows about that. I think what's less appreciated is that there's been a, a serious deterioration of Europe's trade balance as well as Japan's. So the deterioration of the external accounts, as economists would call it, I think is another factor weighing on the currencies. But I think in the most immediate sense, that once, the, if the Fed were to announce uh, today, maybe a, a Fed speech says uh, we're done, I think you right. see the dollar come off very sharply. Mark, you've just driven the 10-year real yield ever higher. Rounded up, we're up at 1.78%. We've moved mightily, like 88% to my study of 2.05% is somewhat of a normal 10-year real yield. Where's your number on that? What is a normal 10-year real yield? Yeah, to tell you the truth, I don't have a clue. And I, I say that because I, I say that partly because, you know, these things like a real yield, uh, R star, you can't touch them. They're sort of uh, they're abstractions, they're statistical abstractions. And I think that when you look at uh, Fed funds rate, which is really what I focus on for the real rate, I think we're still looking at a negative real rate on Fed funds. And typically, uh, looking for, a little further out to the two year, you get a positive two year yield, uh, a real yield. And we don't have that yet. But I think this is a different cycle. And, I'm, and I think that 
because it's an unusual cycle, it's all these shocks, whether it's COVID, whether it is a supply shock, yeah. whether it is Russia's invasion. I don't, I'm just not sure that these benchmarks uh, are very useful right now. This is really, really important, folks. This is why we have Chandler leading off today, because A, he does not have a clue. There's no question <laughs> about that. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio.